0: right, good evening, church. Um, If you'd open up your Bibles with me to the first book, I'm sorry, Colossians, the first chapter, there's only one book, Colossians. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. The title of the sermon being, Jesus, that in everything preeminent. So, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Father, we thank you for your holy, inerrant, and inspired word that speaks to us. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to perceive that which you say and that we would respond readily and joyfully. God, cause us to worship you. And we thank you and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Tonight I want to um, say thank you for the honor to share something that I love with people that I love. Um, It's just an honor to have you um, hear something that's on my heart. And, uh, and just being nervous tonight, and Court really encouraged me, and, and he said that you know if if you remember that God spoke through a donkey, He surely can speak through you. So if, if you uh, if you feel discouraged, you can walk away encouraged that you'll hear more than a donkey speak tonight. So, so what I want to share with you is uh, how is God first? Um, there's many many ways um, God is has set jesus on a pedestal as first supreme preeminent in all things and so tonight skipping an introduction i'm going to dive right into all the ways that jesus is preeminent and saying that that in everything preeminent so beginning in first uh, verse 15a he is the image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation he is the image of the invisible god the force over all creation. In the Old Testament, Moses asked to see God. And up until this point, and further on down the road, uh, God was shrouded in a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire and never seen. And when, when Moses asked God um, to see his glory, what does God say? In Exodus 33, God responds and says, But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me. And live. And what about other people who saw God and how did they respond? Well, Isaiah 6, in a vision when he saw God, he said, Well, woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so I I drive home tonight. Jesus, the image of God, verse 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. And what we could not grasp or see fully for the entirety of the Old Testament has been revealed to us now. God, who was shrouded in pillars of cloud and fire, behind a curtain of the Holy of Holies, he can be seen. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Now, I want to pose to you a, a dilemma. How often is an image ever associated with something that is invisible? Images are replicates of things that can be seen. You don't hear people say images of air or images of darkness, but you hear often people say in images of painting, paintings, or you often hear people say images of Mary. So now we see Jesus. He is Jesus' God in visible form, a common, common uh Christmas carol we all hear is um, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which says, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. And because of Jesus, there's many blessings that we can witness of God. We can witness God's authority over creation, the storm. We can see his tenderness as his disciple reclines on his breast. We can watch God respond with weeping compassion over Lazarus' death, and we can observe his righteous anger in the temple market. We can hear God speak through his parables, and we can learn how God would respond to cruelty through his own suffering. We can know God's love through a corpse on a cross, namely the corpse of Jesus on a cross. And we can know who and what God is, and by God I mean to say specifically Jesus. He is tangible, he is the image of God, The image of God by which we see God. So Paul then takes this image of God idea and he steps it up up a notch. And he says that he is the preeminent representative of God. The preeminent representative of God. Verse 15b says, He is the firstborn of all creation. So not only is Jesus the image of God, moreover, he is the firstborn. Jesus is more than a mere visual representation of God's character. Jesus is God in this logical statement. He steps up his verbiage from an image to Jesus being God himself, not just something you see, but that which contains the essence of God. As Paul subsequently writes in this passage, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Now, the language of firstborn could mislead some to believe that Jesus is a created offspring. Um, of God. however, god 's word is self-consistent and inerrant, and we know that God is not created. We know that Jesus is not created. So, the next subsequent pa- uh, line in this passage in uh, 16A says, "For by Him, Jesus, all things were created." Likewise, that logical statement would remove Jesus from being the, in the domain of the cate- domain and category of the created we have subject and object if he created things he cannot himself have been created john 17 again in jesus high priestly prayer says father jesus says father glorify me in your own presence with the glory i had with you before the world existed so before creation jesus remembers the glory of god genesis 1:26 god says let us make man in our image jesus existed with god Before the creation began. And so the language of firstborn is not used to connote that which is created by God. But instead, the language is used to reflect um, that which is in his likeness. So allow me to eventually carry this logic with you through verse 16. All creation here that we see in this world bears witness of God's invisible attributes. As Romans 1 um, tells us, we, mankind, reflect God's image made in his likeness. Jesus, however, is unlike all else because he holds the premier spot of representative of God as the firstborn. He is outstanding amongst the other reflectors of his character and nature. He is the premier testament as firstborn. And so preeminent is Jesus as firstborn over other reflecting, reflecting reflectors of God's nature um, that he does not merely passively do so but he actually is that which is God's nature. He is the first-hand source and not the second-hand source. Let me just draw an illustration for you that you may all be familiar with. If you've ever gone camping and been out in somewhere where there's not a lot of city lights, you know that the moon shines very bright when it is dark. It shines and and sheds milky beams over the earth and over the white, dark landscape, and we, we relish in its beauty. But as soon as the earth rotates, the sun appears, and we stand very aware that the moon's beauty and light only comes from a reflection of a greater source, the sun. And we and all creation are like the moon, only reflecting the brilliance and magnificence of the sun for the globe to see. Our nature is merely reflecting the character of God, and thus Jesus is firstborn because he does not passively portray the likeness of God as we do. He is first formed because he is the premier manifestation of God's being. He is the Son, S-U-N. And more clearly and directly, do we understand God through Jesus than through any other form of creation, like we see light from the moon or light from the sun? John 1 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father. No one has ever seen God, Jesus has made him known. So allow me to pause before continuing on to other ways. Jesus is preeminent by just saying, wow, God who would in the Old Testament destroy you by his holy presence is now made visible and touchable to us. And is that not an amazing thing that that which we could not see we can now encounter face to face? The next thing I would like to share with you is in verse 16 that Jesus is preeminent over creation He is preeminent over creation For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities All things were created through him and for him Jesus is the superior And supreme representative of God because he created all the lesser representatives of God, continuing the thought process of verse 15b. Heaven on earth, visible and invisible, as the, as the verse says. Angels, spirits, heavenly realms, um, the immaterial and the invisible, the an aurora borealis and australis to demonstrate his beauty, intelligence and animals to demonstrate his intellect, Oceans to demonstrate his power and stars to demonstrate his expanse. Mountains to demonstrate his majesty. Science to demonstrate his complexity. Consciences to demonstrate his righteousness and purity. And so preeminent is he over all these other created things that he is also preeminent over the preeminent, superior to the supreme, higher than the highest powers of created dumb. In verse 16, he continues to say thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. And in the same vein that he is superior and supreme to creation, he is also supreme to the highest things that we visually can see. His, Jesus' throne is above all other thrones. His dominion above all other domains. His rule above all other rulers. His authority above all authority. He is preeminent over the visibly preeminent. Jesus is the king of kings, Jesus is the Lord of Lords, following the language of the Old Testament. And when we look to the highest things we know on this earth, Jesus is still preeminent over these things. He's preeminent over creation and kings. And never are we to assume that God is somehow out of control and lacks preeminence or superiority. Now, the logical question that that begets from this is, well, what about authorities that persecute Christians and make martyrs of them? How does that logically make sense? Well, let me encourage you that, as we said before, we can see God and how he would respond because of him being the image of God. Uh, We can turn to John 19, and, and there, Pilate says to Jesus, Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answers him and says, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above, or me. So when you ask How would God respond to that? Well, we can see immediately that Jesus himself, who had granted the authority to Pilate, permitted the persecution of himself. And so Jesus is preeminent over creation. If you'd follow me subsequently, Jesus is also preeminent over time. In verse 17a, he is before all things. And so supreme is Jesus that his supremacy over creation takes two parts. Firstly, he is preeminent over creation's rulers, Secondly, he is preeminent over creation's origin. Nothing predates him. He is the origin of everything that we know. Creation, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, that which is material, he is the origin of good, of love, of joy. Of the biblical narrative, he is the origin of. And of marriage, he is the origin of all we know. Now, many people can see the biblical narrative and wonder if God was fixing the world he had made. Is the story of the cross made to fix a mistake? Weren't humans supposed to be perfect? Is the biblical narrative a colossal cover-up, Jesus dying for a fallen people covered up by the story that it's marriage of man and a woman? Is it akin to an artist who mispaints a brushstroke of color and then transforms the accidental brushstroke of yellow into a ray of sunshine? And no, we know that this is not possible because Jesus is the origin and from the very beginning. He was before all things and preordained that everything would be as it is. And Jesus is also preeminent in preservation. Verse 17b, preeminent in preservation. And 17b says, in him all things hold together. Hebrews remind us, reminds us that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. By the word of his power. And we assume, we look at the natural world and we wonder how it all stays together. We know that the world, natural world obeys laws of physics. We see a rainbow in the sky, we watch water boil, a ball flies into the air and comes down in a predicted location, all governed by laws of physics. Well, what governs the laws of physics? Who sets those in place, and who commands nature to adhere to these laws? Well, you may know the answer to this rhetorical question: that Jesus governs the laws of physics. Allow me to give you an illustration of my one of my favorite subjects, um, chemistry, and maybe you can relish in God's preeminence over creation. Electronegativity is the measurement by which an atom attracts electrons. Oxygen has one of the highest electronegativities, giving water its unique boiling point of 100 degrees and freezing point of zero. And uh, this may all seem trivial, trivial to you until you understand that this unique electronegativity enables water to store an incredible amount of energy through what is called hydrogen bonding. And the sun's incredible power shines on the earth and the oceans absorb it, buffering our climate, making it temperate and enjoyable for us to live. And were the electronegativity of oxygen be any different, our oceans would be boiled up into vapor, or otherwise a frozen block of ice. Consider that this is only one implication of water. Our bodies made up of some 70% water, what kind of dramatic impact would that be if the electronegativity were any different? So who holds the key to the, the electronegativity of oxygen that makes life so suitable on Earth? Who decided that negative electrons should be attracted to positive protons and delicately decided their perfect balance? The answer here is Jesus from the passage. Nature is governed by natural laws. Natural laws are governed by Jesus. And the list can go on and on as to how he holds all things together, as this passage says. All things hold together because the sun rises and All things hold together because gravity works, and all things hold together because the rain falls. All things hold together because Jesus is preeminent. And so he is preeminent over preservation because the natural laws are governed by him. Jesus next is preeminent over the church in verse 18a. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the head of the body, the church. I was reminded this week how the church is nourished by Christ, our head. I took a decent fall on a bicycle, injuring both my knee and causing damage to uh, my bicycle. And moments after I fell, uh, my head ordered my adrenal glands to release epinephrine or adrenaline that would help numb the pain. My head ordered my hands to collect the pieces of my bike that had fallen over the sidewalk. And my head ordered my right leg to bear the brunt of my weight. My head ordered my hands to nurse my knee with antiseptic, aware of the necessity to kill the pathogens, yet also aware of the pain. And in tender response, my head ordered my hands to handle my wound gently. The head nourishes and supplies us with substance as the vine, capital V, does the branches. Ephesians 5 reminds us that no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And Jesus is preeminent over the church because he orders our movements and our steps. Think about the brother or sister who came into your life at exactly the time you needed healing and encouragement. And perhaps think about the friend who rebuked you, crushed your pride, but was a necessity at exactly the right time. Think about the person who helped, you, helped enlighten your eyes to Jesus and consider that these are more than just the sovereignty of God. These are to remind us that Jesus is number one commander and has, the, has first place in the church and that ultimately his position and executive role gives him preeminence. And take these moments in your life to exult in, the, in his preeminence over the church. So Jesus is preeminent over the church because he orders our movements and our steps. Jesus is preeminent over our resurrection in verse 18c. He is the firstborn from the dead. He is the firstborn from the dead, that we might be resurrected and glorified in his likeness. Philippians 3.21 says, he um, who will transform Jesus, our body, lowly bodies, to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. And so we um, will become and follow in his likeness. He is preeminent in the res- resurrection because he is firstborn, not because he is created, but because we will follow in his likeness, in his image. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he demonstrated that he was the first of his kind, and that we would follow, then follow in his likeness, perfect, sinless, without death. And Romans 8 reminds us that, <coughs> that we would be conformed to the image of his Son that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers, and one day we will follow in his pattern. He is preeminent over our resurrection. And lastly, the last way in which Jesus is preeminent over our reconciliation, you'll find in verses 19 through 20. He is preeminent over our reconciliation. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God delighted to put all of himself into his son, condense himself, all his attributes into one being, and to use his son as a means to reconcile all things. There's conflicts that exist. The forgiveness of sins, reconciled against the punishment of sins. The graciousness of God, Reconciled against the wickedness of man. The perfection of the creator reconciled against the imperfect creation. And God used himself, the condensation and distillation of God's nature, to reconcile all conflicts aimed at himself. Now man reconciles all things we know with things that we're familiar with. Animal sacrifices and asceticism to appease God good deeds and legalism to earn God, logical reason to dismiss God, etc., etc. And all these things and more fail to fully reconcile us to him. But God takes all these conflicts against him and reconciles with them with his own nature, reconciles everything by himself instilled in Jesus. And so, in so many ways, Jesus is preeminent and God has placed him on a pedestal. He is preeminent as a representative of God, as the firstborn, preeminent over all creation and lesser testaments of him, and preeminent over the preeminent. He is preeminent over time as the origin of all things. He is preeminent in preservation, governing earth's natural laws. He is preeminent over the church, governing us and our ways. He is preeminent in the resurrection be first in glorification and first in resurrection and he is preeminent in our reconciliation so the natural application of this you will automatically deduce in your mind is obviously is jesus first and preeminent to you now isn't that obvious that we see god has placed him first so why shouldn't we as well but let me ask you a step further and say is jesus preeminent in your heart one day, as we enter heaven, we'll be welcomed um, to the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is preeminent. And people will welcome, welcome to, welcome to the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is foremost in every single way possible. Now, I want to ask, will you be surprised and astonished? Well, well, I came because there was no sickness and I came because there was no sorrow. I came because there are no... Tears, death, or sin—I came to see my family. I came to see dear friends in Christ. I came for houses and riches untold, and I say to you, yes, all these things are true. All these things are true in heaven, but I should say, friend, these are the byproducts and blessings of the one and true blessing of Jesus. Now, if this is only an illustration, you—you won't be. I highly doubt you will be welcomed to heaven like it's an amusement park, welcome to the kingdom of heaven where Jesus is preeminent. But don't find yourself surprised. See here that God has exalted him to be first in everything, as an image, as a representative of himself, over creation and earthly powers, as the origin of time, as the head of the church, as firstborn from the dead, over reconciliation. And I pray in heaven, um, I pray that heaven will be everything that you thought it would be because Jesus will be number 1 and I hope he is number 1 now and when you get there he will be the satisfaction and consummation of everything that you desire so hopefully there will no be no discontinuity between your desires now and in heaven for a desire for Jesus another way is you know we think that Jesus is preeminent over everything but I want to exhort you and say that not quite, not quite. Jesus is preeminent over everything, but but not fully preeminent over the hearts of man. He's preeminent over everything that you see out there, and creation groans because of this. The one thing that Jesus is not preeminent over is all the hearts of man. Romans 1.21 says that although they knew God, they did not honor him or give thanks, and they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So I should say to you that if he is not preeminent to you now, he shall be. He shall be preeminent to you, because God will not permit anything to discount the Son's preeminence in this world. Philippians 2 says that he, God has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven on earth, every tongue confess that he is Lord, And so both believer and non-believer alike will bow the knee and confess with their tongue that he is Lord. And so I ask, if you are both a believer and non-believer alike, don't wait until then for Jesus to be made preeminent in your heart. Let the consummation of his preeminence begin now. And you're wondering, well, how? How can I inspire myself well, look no further than the Bible, which is in your lap. Jesus, that in everything, he might be preeminent. He is preeminent as the image of God, preeminent as the representative of God. He is preeminent over all creation, preeminent over time, preeminent over preservation, preeminent over the church and the resurrection, and preeminent in our reconciliation. So I exhort you, my friends that look to Jesus now. May he be permanent in your heart and consequently one day when you see him in heaven.